так, как всегда, прежде чем мы вновь будем исследовать глубины нашего наследия. Of our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Is the book of Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to them, "These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me." So that we as the participants of the body of Christ, which share together with Christ all the things written about him in scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the word of God and with the Holy Spirit, revealing the truth in our heart, looking at what we need to do from our side to receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can put on the new way of life. Отложить прежний образ жизни ветхого человека и сливающего в обольстительных похотях. They put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created in accordance to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4:22-24. This is the credo and the calling of every child that is born from God. If a person will not fulfill this requirement, he will lose his salvation. Imagine for yourself, millions of Christians don't even think about it, not this place of scripture or others similar to it, that in order to inherit salvation, you need to put off your former way of life. We receive salvation freely by the gift of grace in the format of a guarantee, but this form of life is still living in us, this old man with his deeds, and demonstrates himself. He, of course, garments himself in religious array and... Uh, People don't even see, see the need to be free of him when they don't even hear about the fact that there is an old man, that he exists, and that hell is in themselves. And when they hear about this, they become afraid and say, this is a heresy. And so I, a saved person, have hell living inside of me? Then what else lives in you? What lives in you? when you are alone with your husband, with your wife, how do you communicate with one another? Something goes wrong. And you hear it. And all of this is concealed. And then in age, it begins to show itself. It's terrible. This is our calling. Often people ask, Where, what is my calling? Each one thinks that their calling is to be a teacher or a pastor. All want to be something. But you need to put off your former conduct, the old man, renew your mind by the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which is created in accordance to God and true righteousness and holiness, so that you can be a new person, garmented into Christ. And to fulfill this commanding order, we have been studying three vital, charging, and fundamental acts. 
to put off, be renewed, and put on. We've noted, without being instructed in the faith, none of us will be able to put off our former way of life, not be renewed by the spirit of our mind, or be clothed into a new person. No one, for by themselves, studying the scriptures and praying and fasting will achieve this goal. They will actually distance themselves from that. The more a person begins or attempts to uh, personally study what needs to be done for himself or interpret for himself, the more or further he will be from the calling that he has because there is a structure of the body that exists. And in this structure, there are people whom God God endows, he gives them delegation so that they be carriers of his revelation. Not all can carry it. They can be carriers upon the condition that they follow this order, that they will receive it by hearing the preached word of the person who is a father from God and not for themselves determine what is good and what is evil. We've noted that your decision regarding these three destiny-affecting acts to put off your renewed and put on will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. Will the realization of our salvation come to pass, given to us in the format of a guarantee that is never preached, and people think they receive salvation as something personal that is their own and that they can't lose it, or it won't go away. This is a guarantee. When you purchase a house, you put a down payment and you need to find the remaining balance, the entire amount for the home. And if you will not pay the remainder of what you owe for this house, then your down payment uh, is lost. You won't receive then that or the house. Same thing with salvation in this case. We receive salvation. Paul speaks to those who are saved to put off the old man. What is this? In you, then, the one that is the old man, do you call it uh, paradise that lives within you? They become afraid hearing that hell lives inside them. What, do you, what is living in you if your eyes are always looking at other women or other men? What is living in you? Paradise, heaven? And people see this they feel these things, they experience these things, and they can cover them up. If we will not understand this, will not receive it, and will not understand that salvation is given in the format of a guarantee, you need to make it your own, then we will lose it forever, and this will result in our names being forever blotted out of the Book of Life, although they may have been written there at one time. There are moments when God speaks uh, and he says, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. And there are other moments where he says, I will blot you out. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Many uh, experience shipwreck in their faith for the reason that they either are led by uh, their mind, uh, calling their mind God, or are led by someone they uh, vote for or one who has placed themselves and calls himself a Messiah, not being one. Messiah is one that's sent. Not having been sent, a person thinks that if he receives a prophecy that he's sent. And 
in my life I've heard and seen many uh, when uh, foolish men uh, were uh, trying to command and unfortunately they, can, they remained as, as foolish. They, they, nothing changed. And when this person was delegated to pastorship, the way that he was, he remained, but would get then worse and worse. He would degrade. If God places a person before he places them, he gives them his wisdom. He will already, this person will have God's wisdom. He will carry it in, inside, inside of himself. And God chooses such people before they're born. And he watches after them and allows situations, circumstances in their life in order to uh, test them and prepare them for this great calling, for this goal. In a specific format, we've already studied the first two questions and have been studying the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God and Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. This, again, is a process. This is not a three-day encounter. This is sanctification, and it is within the span of our entire life we do this while we're in this mortal body. Only when we put on the heavenly body physically, literally, there will not be a necessity because the body will be then in the likeness of our spirit as it is. But our body is not like our spirit today. The spirit is immortal, the body is mortal. And if it is mortal, then in what heaven are you living in? As they state, they don't, they, they don't have a help. Relevant to this, we looked at a series of parables and events. We became familiar with the condition that we need to fulfill in order to, by the name of God, El Elyon, or God Most High, destroy the stronghold of death in our body in the form of reigning in its sin, identifying the essence of the old person with his deeds, so that we can forever thrust him out from our body into hell with noise, and afterwards erect the kingdom of heaven in the place of the stronghold of death. We will remember that before we thrust him out into hell, we need to first bind him and lock him up in a prison inside of our soul so that our soul would become a prison for him, one of the places in our soul. We bind him where he will not have any more power over you. One who is not able to bind him will not be able to thrust him out. In order to thrust out the old person with his deeds, we need to first bind him. I give you power. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And people, instead of binding their old person, are trying to bind demons that they don't need to bind because you can't bind them. You can rebuke them, you can, uh, you can rebuke them, you can call, uh, command that they leave, but you can't drive out the old man as a demon, put to death the uh, lusts and other things that are in your body, these sins, and there's a list of them where it says put to death. Is this a heaven in you or hell? People say it's not possible. I'm Christian, and what hell is inside of me? What is in you then? It says put to death these things that are in you. So 
we being then saved, uh, we have fornicate other things, all these other things that will be living inside you, unclean things. You don't rebuke them or drive them out as demons. You uh, put them to death and the only way to do this is by the process of the truth of the cross of Christ collaborating with the truth of the cross of Christ we need to know how our cross collaborates with the cross of Christ and how our faith collaborates with God's faith if we don't know this then nothing will work we stop to study a unique condition that is contained in the 18th Psalm of David, where the Holy Spirit, with the right that he alone has, reveals the condition based upon which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon, which is in Hebrew, and this is Most High. And this condition is that in the circumstances of our hardship in life, when we are putting off the old man, we can call upon the Most High as to our God and confess the faith of our hearts, stating who God is to us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. This is the most uh, difficult moment when a person uh, approaches this process, casting off the old man with his deeds. At this time, he will experience, uh, truly experience himself in hell. All the filth will come out of him that he until this time did not see or even suspect that it would live inside. But in order to thrust it out, you need to see what's living there. You need to cast off the garment, the, cover, the religious or pseudo-religious or pseudo-holy garments to cast that off uh, to see what's there. And Paul acknowledged that, which is why he became free of it, without acknowledging that we can become free of the old person. We've noted that this metaphor is one of the most powerful and voluminous symbols demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind, as King David and the name of God Most High and the confrontation of our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and reigning sin as our old person with his deeds. And so three kings living in one body. Two kings, they find something mutual between one another. Saul uh, releases Agag, the king of the Amalekites. David would ne never have done this. David would destroy it later. The kings of the Amalekites and the people don't think that Saul did not do, but they work against David. And imagine in yourself, there's a in your body, there's a battle, and it's hard to live when there's a total war happening within your body, and it is to possess your heart. The goal is to possess your heart. We note, it is by the means of the confession of the faith of our heart stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ and what God has done in Jesus Christ and who we are in Jesus Christ. God receives the required basis he needs or the proper grounds he needs to join the battle for our earthly bodies in order to shame the reigning in our body's sin, the old person the power by the power of redemption and forever cast him out into hell with noise. In character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see an example of the character of legitimate prayer. 
and this is for kings, priests, and prophets. There's a big difference between a prayer of a king, priest, and prophet and the prayer of a simple man that received salvation as a gift of grace. He not he is not yet a king, a priest, or a prophet, although he deceives himself because uh, one that is in his likeness, who is also ignorant in the word, uh, from the stage reads that we are kings and priests to God. You see, brothers and sisters, it's written here that we are kings and priests to God. Amen, hallelujah, and everyone shouts, amen, hallelujah. What kind of king are you if you are not ruling and controlling your emotions, if you can't restrain your mouth? What kind of king can you be when you don't even know how to enter into the courts of God, how to worship in spirit and in truth? How can you be a priest if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart that would be able to reveal the truth that's in there? What kind of prophet can you be? The first part of this psalm identifies the condition of David's heart and the state of David's heart as a warrior in prayer. The condition of his heart was grounds for the legit status of his prayer. The second part reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer, which is for kings, priests, and prophets that give God the proper basis to deliver David from the hand of all of his enemies and our enemies as well. The third part, in an epic genre, uh, it describes the prayer battle, which surpasses the comprehension of the simple human mind, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will allow us to understand and see this battle and how it is. In a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer contained in the eight names of God Most High, or El Elyon, getting to know and confessing the prayer contained in the heart of David in, in the eight following names of God allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so he can be saved from his enemies. As for God discovering the truth, revealing the power of his names in the heart of David, provided God the proper grounds that he needs and in our heart to give God the proper grounds to use his abilities that consist in his eight names to battle against the enemies of David and our enemies. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1 through 3, eight names of God, and eight is the number of the covenant. I will remind us that... Uh, there is a total of 50 names of God in the Bible. Eight is the number of the covenant, and in these eight names, we see 50 more names. They're all uh, in each other in a miraculous balance. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my strength in whom I will trust. The Lord is my shield. The Lord, the Lord is the horn of my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. And so in a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we already looked at our inherited lot that is in Jesus Christ in the power of three names of God, the names of God, strength, rock, and the name of God, fortress. 
and stop to study our inherited lot that is in Jesus Christ in the name of God deliver. We will remember that this nature of prayer where David confesses his lot in the eight existing names of God Most High is the strategic teaching that is purposed to be the calling and mantle of a king, of a priest, and of a prophet, anointed to rule over their earthly body. And if a person has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over his calling in the form of his earthly body, so that he can then be, uh, this body then can become a heavenly body. If you don't receive this in the status of a king, priest, and prophet to make your body heavenly, then this revelation given for worshiping God in prayer will not benefit this person. Therefore, the quality in Lexus in identifying the name of God deliverer as with the previous names of God is not able to be found in any dictionaries of the world. In Scripture, deliver is the leader or chief of the covenant, redeemer from the slavery of sin and death, the savior of the body, one who protects from the wrath of God. In the name deliver, God protects a person from his own wrath because God's wrath is burning against uh, reigning sin that lives in the body, one that reinstates your rights to the inheritance one that places us into his safety as his holy possession, preserving our guarantee until the coming of Christ. In the given prayer psalm of David, the name of God deliverer contains the inherited lot of the Son of God, in whom and by whom a person can collaborate with the power contained in the name of God deliverer and receive the ability to turn the guarantee of his salvation to profit it, this prophet is the sa saving of his soul and adopting his body by the redemption of Christ. Considering such a necessary balance or such a union between God and man, it becomes vital for us to determine in every aspect of our essence the role of God and the role of man. And for this purpose, as we studied our lot in the previous names of God, called to be the lot of our salvation, we have the necessity to study a series of questions. First, what characteristics and categories identify our inherited lot in the name of God Deliverer? What role does our inherited lot in the name of God Deliverer play in achieving our salvation? Third, what price do we need to pay in order to provide God the proper grounds he needs to be our Deliverer? And fourth, by what results do we examine ourselves that God truly is our Deliverer when it comes to accomplishing our calling? And this is, again, the salvation or the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. Not having clear and comprehensive answers to these questions that we are able to receive exclusively by being instructed in the faith within the strict order in which the body of Christ functions, the structure of theocracy needs to be within the church. We will not have the ability to invest our silver in the form of our guarantee of salvation. And this means that without strictly obeying the preached word of the person that possesses the authority of a father from God and his helpers, we will not have the ability to receive profit 
in the form of the fruit of righteousness from the seed of guarantee that we have invested. This is written, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, in Jesus Christ, amen, to the glory of God through us, 2 Corinthians 1.20. Apostle Paul says that not a single promise of God can a person receive without the apostles. It is through them, by being instructed by their word, that they will plant. In a specific format, we already looked at the essence of the first three questions and stopped to study the fourth question. By what results do we examine ourselves that God truly is our deliverer when it comes to accomplishing our calling? In the previous service, we already looked at the first sign by which we can judge that God is our deliverer. I will remind us of it. The first element is that we know that our tent is in peace and that we are able to visit our home and find nothing amiss or not in place. Second element by which we can determine that God is our deliverer will be joyous lips that sing to God about the deliverance of our soul from those who seek to hurt us. Psalm 71, 20 through 24. You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. The depths of the earth, the center of the earth. David says that he was there. He knows when in the body there's hell. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Also with the lute I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. Psalm 71, 20-24. Before we study the essence of each phrase, identifying the result or the element that God is our deliverer from people that seek to hurt us, we will need to identify those that seek to hurt us. People who seek to hurt, from whom the Lord delivers us, are very organized powers of darkness under the control of the fallen cherubim, which includes, first, our flesh being supported by the old person, the carrier of the program of the fallen cherubim that we inherited from the sinful life of our fathers, second, our mind in the form of Saul, a harsh man that attempts to take the place of God in our body who resists the intelligent aspect of our spirit. Third, our nation, which contains the world and all that is in the world, that is being directed by princes of darkness, by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Fourth, the house of our Father attempting to claim the first right in our life and power that belongs to God. Fifth, wicked and lawless men that support the wicked, that fill the churches of saints. And they often present themselves as godly people. The, uh, sixth, the spirit of deception that is led by the Prince Mammon that takes on the form of angels of light and impersonates the Holy Spirit in wicked and lawless and ignorant men as well. It is specifically our reaction to being delivered from these enemies that identifies that God is our deliverer. It is by the phrase, you who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth that we can determine when casting off the old man with his deeds that we are submerged into the depths of the earth and 
by baptism in the death of the Lord Jesus afterwards are delivered and led out from the depths of the earth by the resurrection of Jesus. The baptism uh, of the water, spirit, and fire, Christ died and was put into the ground, and we were buried with him, and we in our body need to experience all that. Because hell is linked directly to the earth. As the heavens are linked to the earth, the hell is also linked to the earth, and they lead a battle in our body to possess the human heart. By the phrase, you shall increase my greatness, we can determine that God lifts us up above those that rise against us, and from the violent man he delivers us. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. 2 Samuel 22, 48-49. It is by the phrase, and comfort me on every side, we can determine the mercy of God in the form of his precious promises that support and comfort us. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I, and so settled in silence is hell. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delights my soul. Psalm 94, 17 through 19. It is by the phrase, also with the lute I will praise you, and your faithfulness, O my God, to you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel, that we can determine the presence of joy of the Lord that belongs to the righteous ones. Not uh, just the just, justified ones, but those that, being justified, perform righteousness. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. Psalm 33, 1-4. And so they sing in their psalms the word of God not just artistic uh, words of some sort, but the word of God. It is by the phrase, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul which you have redeemed, my tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt, that we can determine that we love righteousness and hate lawlessness in their carriers. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God, you your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, Hebrews 1.9. Gladness is a component of the fruit of righteousness grown in the good soil of our heart from the seed of the preached word preached to us word about justification that we have received freely by the grace of God from the wellspring of salvation, which are men that are clothed into the authority of fathers from God. 
they are the wellsprings of salvation. Supernatural joy or gladness is a discipline of the mind and will, collaborating with the truth of the teaching of Christ imprinted in the heart of a man and the revelation of the Holy Spirit revealing the truth in the heart. The state and atmosphere of joy in the heart allows us to lead our emotional aspect with reins, directing them to the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. Supernatural joy, this is not a cheerful and flurry feeling, leading the intelligent and will aspect of our soul in our worship to God, but the discipline of the renewed mind and will placed in absolute dependence of the revelations of the truth in the heart that lead the emotional aspect in worshiping God. If our worship is not in accordance to the mandatory structure where the discipline of the renewed mind and will are placed in absolute dependence of the revelations of the truth in the heart, we will not be able to lead our emotional aspect in worshiping God. And consequently, such worship will lose its significance as it does not or is not in accordance to the requirements of the atmosphere of joy in which worship in spirit and in truth is to take place. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For yea, the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, Name, declare his deeds amongst the nations. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Isaiah 12, 1 through 6. The joyous lips that sing to God about the deliverance of his soul from men that seek them harm is something that applies only to righteous men, who by confessing the faith of God that abides in their heart leads their emotion or their emotional horse with reins into the atmosphere of worship in spirit, in, in spirit and in truth. It's important to lead your emotional aspect, your emotional horse with, with the reins lead them because it is necessary. We need this uh, horse. We need to be able to uh, train and discipline it and worship. Uh, we need it in worship. And consequently, if we haven't invested the guarantee of our justification given to us as a, as a guarantee of salvation in order to grow it into the fruit of righteousness that would be able to become our own and our legitimate foundation for praising God, we will not have any grounds or right to inherit the lot in the name of God deliver. Third, result by which we can determine that God is our deliverer is by the presence of the fruits of the Spirit, testifying that God has delivered us from the hand of Pharaoh. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, with her two sons. He had brought his. Uh, he had uh, left his wife and his sons with the father, his father-in-law, and he went to uh, defend his nation. Um, and this would take some time. 
and the nation had already been uh, brought out and was in the wilderness and the father-in-law took his daughter and his two grandsons and went to greet Moses. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land, and the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. If God truly is our deliverer from the sword of Pharaoh, then like Moses, he will have or we will have evidence of our deliverance in the fruit of two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. Relevant to this, we need to determine who in our life is Pharaoh and his terrifying sword. What role does the fruit of the Spirit in the name Gershom, born from Zephora, have? Or why is it necessary to have evidence that we are foreigners or sojourners in a strange land? Third, what role does the fruit of our spirit in the name Eliezer, born from Zephora, have? Or why is it necessary to have evidence that we are delivered from the sword of Pharaoh? Answering the first question, who in our life is Pharaoh and his terrifying sword, we need to immediately note that Pharaoh in our life is the intelligent aspect of our soul that we have not yet lost in the death of our Lord Jesus. The symbol of the sword of Pharaoh is our tongue or our mouth that is not yet cleansed by the fire, by the fire of the Holy Spirit, which which is why these particular doors do not yet have a watch guard, being, uh, this watch guard being gentleness, in order to keep and protect them. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the doors of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Psalm 141.3.4 The symbol of the Egyptian land being ruled by Pharaoh is our mortal body, we note that if Moses is a symbol <coughs> of our new person who possesses the virtue of a king, priest, and prophet, the Pharaoh is the intelligent aspect of our soul that is anointed by God to rule over our body. Pretty much, in some sense, the relationship between Moses and Pharaoh is identical to the relationship between David and Saul. Therefore, in David's situation and also in Moses' situation, until David confronted Goliath and killed him, and Moses defended the Israelites and killed the Egyptian, doing so he confronted Pharaoh. Until they did this, Saul was not yet the enemy of David and Pharaoh not the enemy of Moses. Equally, until our new person in the form of Moses will confront the intelligent abilities of our mind in the form of Pharaoh, there will not be a contradiction or a conflict between our new person and the intelligent aspect of our soul. In their time, Joseph and Pharaoh did not have war and contradiction with one another. But when we grew or grow in our spirit into full measure of growth in Christ and will clothe ourselves into the power of Moses who defended his nation from the bitterness of Pharaoh, between our spirit and our soul, will, there will be a conflict. And as when David ran into the land of the Philistines from Saul, who was pursuing him, and Moses ran into the wilderness into the land of Midian from Pharaoh who was pursuing him, 
the land that he called foreign. The land of Midian he called foreign, not the Egyptian, but the Midian land, the land of Midian he called foreign. Now, what role does the fruit of the Spirit in the name Gershom have born from us in a foreign land from Zephora? Or why is it necessary to have evidence that we are foreigners or sojourners in the strange land? And why did Moses call the land of Midian foreign, the land where he bore two sons? The name of Zephora means bird. This is the abilities or ability being in our mortal body to receive and be a carrier of information that is not of this earth. Considering the fact that due to marriage, Moses and Zephorah were one body, Moses in his spirit possessed the ability to be fertilized by the seed of the preached word about the kingdom of heaven from which he grew the fruit of righteousness in the form of Gershom and Eliezer. We are looking here symbolically. For example, when Moses was in the land of Egypt, he, according to God's command, called the land of Egypt the Lord's. The land of Midian he called foreign, but the land of Egypt he called the Lord's. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord. Exodus 9.29 Pharaoh uh, claimed this land for himself, but God had brought forth ten plagues so that he would prove to Pharaoh that it belongs to God. We sometimes convince ourselves, this is my body, I do whatever I want with it, uh, but God says, no, this is my body, this is not your body. You are no longer your own. You don't belong to yourself. You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You are purchased with the precious blood. You no longer belong to yourself. This is what God was trying to prove to Pharaoh through Moses. Upon Sinai, God, before leading his nation into the land of Canaan, gave Moses one command that became law for Israel. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Leviticus 25:23. And in all the land of your possession you shall grant redemption of the land. In other words, not just the Egyptian land, but also the Canaanite land was God's possession. But the land of Midian was not God's possession. He called it foreign. And this is not all. When Apostle Paul gave the church instruction regarding consumption of anything offered to idols, he, inspired by the Holy Spirit, called the whole earth with all that it yields the Lord. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. And if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. 1 Corinthians 10, 25-28 Considering such regard of the, for the earth, God's regard for the earth, it becomes important to understand why God calls the land of Midian foreign. The answer is in God's sayings and statements about the earth that we need to pay a special attention to. For example, when God, or when Apostle Paul talks about the earth and all of its, uh, all that it yields, he does not uh, compare it to man, but compares only what's growing from the earth. When God 
uh, speaks of his rights to the Egyptian land and the Canaanite land. He uh, links it to the nations that live there. But when it talks about the Midianite land where uh, Moses had two sons, Looking at the nation there, he calls it foreign. God, by the reasons that he alone has, rejects this land as his own. As in the parables of Christ, when a specific category of people desire uh, to be called God's possession because they, by their names, by God's name, they rebuked demons and performed miracles. The response that they received was not what they wanted. Away from me, I never knew you. You were always strangers. I never knew you. And when God appeared in a dream to Joseph, uh, husband of Mary, he told Joseph that the man, that uh, the child that will be born of Mary, will save his own people, the seed of Abraham. And when Jesus comes to rapture his chosen remnant, only those will be raptured whom he calls his own. We can conclude that the land of the Midianites is flesh and blood as they are in their first form that does not inherit the kingdom of heaven because the mortal body cannot inherit immortality. A person that is redeemed from God is a stranger and foreigner wherever he is because the earth is a temporary place for one that is redeemed by God. The permanent place of one that is redeemed by God is the new heaven and new earth upon which righteousness dwells. And so why then to have evidence of being delivered from the sword of Pharaoh that represents within our mouth the law of sin and death, we first need to have evidence in the name of Gershom that the land of the Midianites is for that we are uh, that it is foreign he gave him the name Gershom because I became a foreigner or a stranger in a foreign land the Midianite land is uh, named after his fourth uh, Abraham's fourth son that he had with uh, Ketera which was his second wife after Sarah had passed away God uh, saw this land of the Midianites and these people had led the nation of Israel uh, to sin, which was why the Moabites, uh, Ammonites or Moabites shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation. None of this descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet with meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. The children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 8. As the Canaanite land, the chosen by God, by God remnant, is the first fruit of God and God's holiness, the mortal body of a man that is redeemed by God from the power of sin and death is the first fruit of God and God's holiness where the Holy Spirit lives.
And of Gad he said, the son of Jacob, blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion and tears the arm of the crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself, the first part, the primary part for himself. Because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there, he came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel, Deuteronomy 33, 20 through 21. And so the status of a foreigner and sojourners in the land of Canaan in the mortal body uh, is the Holy Spirit. He also is here as a foreigner, and he, in the status of a foreigner, he is here temporary together with us. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Solomon is praying. For all these things came from you, and of you, of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers, our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. First Chronicles 29, 14, 15. The mortal body is not a sinful body. A sinful body is always a mortal body. When we are binding, reigning sin, the old person in our body, in our body the power of sin is is done away with and in our members we then have or our members then become slaves of righteousness and the Holy Spirit then receives uh, the proper basis to live within our mortal body as a stranger and, so and sojourner when the old person is bound the body no longer is, a sin is no longer a sinful if it's sinful the Holy Spirit can't live there for your body to be a temple of the Holy Spirit you need to bind your old person so that reigning sin would not rule in your body as it is written if you love me keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. <clears throat> when we begin to understand these things, until this time we were convinced that the Holy Spirit lives in us and that our bodies are the temple of the living in us Holy Spirit. But no one has ever told us that in order for our body to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, it is necessary to eliminate reigning sin or bind him, take, take the control or power from him, remove him from the throne, take power from him. When it talks about uh, removing or taking away uh, power is to remove from the throne. He lives, but he's living in a cell. He is uh, imprisoned. And so if my body was not yet the temple of the Holy Spirit, but a temple for idols, hell. But when I have bound this old person according to God's mercy by being instructed in the faith and have bound him into a prison, the Holy Spirit then at this time comes and knocks only into that door that where the old person is already bound, in whose heart the teaching of Christ is imprinted, the conscience is cleansed from dead works, there the Holy Spirit knocks, so that he can come and become the master of your life. Then your body obtains the status of a temple. Until this time, it not yet is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is, it is an idol house uh, for the old person that lives there. If a person 
says, what, I need to hate my soul? I will never hate my soul. I was familiar with two sisters that appeared very spiritual, even in my eyes, because I was still very young, and they would come to us, uh, and they would be fascinated with sermons and were very known as spiritual. And when we came here to the Americas, they also uh, were here. As soon as I had stated that we need to reject our soul, they left the church. They said that I, uh, I'm an error and... And they said this is not something to do. And so they did not want to understand those things. That who will hate their soul, only that is the one that will reobtain it. If you love it, you will hate it in the state that it is right now. It is not subject to you. It's not obedient. It wants to serve God independent from your spirit. And so the fruit of the spirit in the form of Gershom, who is born from Zephorah, testifies of the fact that we are strangers and foreigners uh, in a foreign land. And we consider ourselves dead to sin, living for God, proclaiming that non-existent uh, deadness to sin as existent. He, need, he needed to receive evidence in the Midianite land, which was foreign to him, that he is a foreigner, a stranger, a, a sojourner. He will be a stranger in the Egyptian and Canaanite land also, but that land is God's possession. The Egyptian land is God's possession, belonging to God. He said the earth is the Lord's. The, Midian, the land of Midian, however, is a foreign land, and flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of heaven in the state in which it's in. And here we need to have evidence that we are strangers in this foreign land. Third question, what role does the fruit of the Spirit in the name of Eliezer, born from Zephora, have? Or why is it necessary to have evidence that we are delivered from the sword of Pharaoh? Because he said, when he had bore Eliezer, God has delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Until this time, in the land of uh, Midian, he had this threat uh, continually over him, uh, this risk over him. But when he bore uh, his second son, he... And so, to be delivered from the sword of Pharaoh, that is, from our own tongue, that is able to kill us or destroy us <clears throat> or to give us eternal life, as it is written, a man's stomach shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. We need to love our tongue that proclaims eternal life because she is, it is in the power of the tongue. We talked about how Eliezer, born from uh, Zephora, is that Moses had the fruit of gentleness. Eliezer is also a symbol of the fruit of gentleness, a wholesome tongue. Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth, Numbers 12.3. A wholesome tongue is a state of a humble spirit or, or gentle spirit, representing the spirit 
the tree of life bearing its fruit each month 12 times. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.4 In the power of a wholesome tongue is life, in the power of a perverse tongue is a broken spirit. If we will not lose our soul that belongs in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. A person that possesses a wholesome tongue is a person who has circumcised his heart and his mouth by circumcision that is not of man's hands, where he has bound in himself the old man and has taken power from him in his mortal body so he can give God the proper grounds in the time that he decides to convert or change his mortal body into a, a heavenly body. Receiving into your heart the promise in the form of a seed, the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ, and growing from the seed the fruit of the Spirit, uh, our Eliezer, a person then possesses testimony that he has been delivered from the power of the old person that is clearly written upon the tablets of his heart. God can easily read it because there is fruit. He by fruit it determines. He according to that fruit determines uh, that's there. Such testimony gives God the proper grounds to, in the time that He decides, in the blink of an eye, to transform our mortal body into a heavenly body. And second, such testimony is a guarantee, giving a person the right to meet the Lord in the air. The process of receiving and growing the seed of righteousness into the fruits of righteousness in a foreign land <clears throat> is clearly uh, written and addressed uh, by Christ to those who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A person that does not have an understanding and does not acknowledge the fact that he needs to lose his soul, he is not one who labors and is heavy laden. Only when we, by being instructed in the word, uh, understand what our soul is and our mind that is not circumcised, that they are subject to the old person and together work against our spirit that in our body there's nothing good, that we need to be free of that. Only then do these kings uh, confront our spirit and God speaks to that category that has this happening. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. These are not people for, these are not words for the world and not even and, and if that's not enough, not even for all the Christian people, this is not applicable to those that are called. This is only to the chosen. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God does not plan to give rest to those who are called. They will uh, perish because they have rejected the truth and God's order, and they themselves have built their own order. They have called their will God's will, and their intel intellectual ideas, they call the uh, ideas of the Holy Spirit. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28-30. Learn from me, he says, and so gentleness and humility are things you need to learn. You need to be a student. If a person does not have the virtue of a student, he will never be able to learn to be gentle. His heart will never be gentle, and his mouth also will not be gentle. 
and such uh, a mouth cannot possess life. The fourth element by which we can determine that God is our deliverer is that he has delivered our soul as a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is opened and we are delivered. A song of ascents of David, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us, the stream would have gone over our soul, then the swollen, the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has given, a, given us a prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowler, the snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Psalm 124, 1 through 8. The first we need to pay attention to is the nature of confession that comes from the inner state of the heart, which is a sign of the deliverance of our soul from the snare. The word says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 8 through 10, taken also from Deuteronomy. We see here that we need to pay attention to this unique nature unique nature of confession which is a sign of the deliverance of our soul that this is the confession of the faith of the heart the second thing we need to pay attention to is that confession happens uh, this confession happens at the time they are ascending to uh, the temple. This is a nature of worship that had been done exclusively three times a year and was a command, and if they did not fulfill that, they were eliminated from the nation. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. And so we see here three times a year the Song of Ascents. This is a prayer where a, when a person ascends to the temple in, uh, in Jerusalem to worship God into the Jerusalem temple. And he confesses that uh, the enemy wants to devour him, wants to, and that he's free from the snare of the fowler. And so how are we to walk into this Jerusalem? Three times a year, Ecclesiastes 5.1, walk prudently when you go to the house of God, and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. When I prayed, receiving this delegation from God, to edify the church, to carry responsibility for it, I began to pray and say, Lord, give me a strategy how I need to lead a service, how often it needs to be, what kind of services they should be, how we need to have them, in what sequence there were... <clears throat> 
many different uh, forms at the time, and more were coming uh, or being uh, presented, as it were. And the Holy Spirit uh, directed me to this place three days a year, that's three uh, times a week for us. This was for them a year, this is for us a, month, uh, a week. This is what finishes the seven days, the week. We can't three days a year only come to worship. We come, we need to continuously worship, and we see the new covenant, the, the new new church uh, of the New Testament did this, and so there needs to be a strategy. We can come to visit one another and talk about God and so forth every day, which is what we do also, but when there is a service where we all gather, we made it three times a week, and when churches, uh, other churches started doing it four or five uh, times uh, a, a week, and they made so many services that people were already complaining. Uh, and they would come here, visit us, and... Uh, and say, well, you guys have such such freedom here. You you, you folks have such freedom here. Uh, and it was three times a week only. And when I talked to this individual who implemented the five day five days a week, and uh, he removed it for a while and then brought it back and then decided to say, only if you desire, you can come. And and he then began to. Uh, say that if you don't come, that you're not uh, within uh, within the the requirements of the church. And, and so we we see here the feasts of Israel, and we have our, uh, the, these feasts. We uh, honor them every day. Third, we need to pay attention to what people can what people can rise against us and attempt to capture our soul into the snare of death. These people are people that are, of course, within our midst, that have the look of godliness but have de uh, denied its power. And as it is, these people are uh, often in an influential role. I'm not saying in, in our specific church, but in churches in general, they influence other people or are in lead leadership roles. And you see how today... Uh, People, they begin to reveal who they are and their children reveal who they are and you'll see uh, you see these things and those who select such uh, churches after they have uh, and have said that the voice of the nation is the voice of God and now they suffer as the character of such people that attempted to capture the soul of David into a snare these were members of the church that had authority Apostle Paul writes, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Avoid such churches where the pastors create or form such 
prepare sermons based on sex and to love sex. It says here that they love pleasure. That means they love sex more than God. And when I say sex, these people that love sex more, they say, how can he say such words from the stage? You need to close uh, our ears and our children's ears. You need to circumcise your ear, then you won't have to close it. <clears throat> As it is, people of the world are respectful to Christian people who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. But people that have the look of godliness but have denied its power will... Uh, <clears throat> will persecute those that possess true godliness. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is talking about people in the church, but evil men and impostors, people also in the church, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 14. People that abide in true godliness are people who died for sin and lived for God and they received the ability to abide in the perfect law of liberty. But he who, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. <clears throat> James 1, 25 27 According to the identification of pure and upright godliness, the ability to visit the father, the orphan and widow and keep yourself from being defiled by the world, which means be in continual sanctification, which means and this is, uh, stands guard of our sanctification, or our sanctification for, stands guard of our uh, dedication. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderate and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women prof uh, professing godliness with good works. First Timothy 2, 8 through 10. Fourth, what is the snare of death that these men are trying to uh, catch us into? The snare of death is a form of deception where deception is presented as truth because they cloak it into specific texts of scripture pulled from the uh, the full spirit of scripture and you can then uh, as in free will interpret it as you want uh, the sower sows the word mark 4 14 through 19 the sower sows the word and those and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so in 
endure only for a time afterwards. When tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering, entering in choking the word and becomes unfruitful. And so the seeds of the devil, he takes it away in what way? That he gives you a different word. God says, do not touch it. Another word comes, did truly God say this? He doesn't deny that God spoke, but he questions, did God truly say? It's important that you just begin to listen to him. That's all that's important to him. These deceivers always say, you always, do you always believe what your pastor says? I've heard this many times. I tell these people, do you believe everything that your pastor says? And they say, well, I'm not a fool to believe this clown. And I ask them, why are you in this church if your pastor is a clown, according to you? Imagine how they call the ones they have elected. They elect him and then calls him a clown and don't believe everything that he says. And they try to spread this uh, throughout the uh, uh, churches, those that have the structure of theocracy. Do you always believe what he says? Of course, we always believe the person when he is on stage and he speaks the word of God. Of course, there might be maybe some kind of pronunciation, maybe issues, or the name is spoken differently, uh, something uh, minor, but that doesn't mean he's not speaking the truth. We're talking about the principal things. There's always a thought. Uh, not a word maybe that's not been pronounced as accurately as, as could be. Fifth, what conditions do we need to fulfill and what means do we need to use to give God the proper grounds to deliver our soul from the snare of the fowler? So God can receive the proper grounds to deliver our soul from the snare of the fowler, it is necessary to perform the works of God. The work of God is to uh, work hard not to focus on things that are perishable but imperishable. And for this, it is necessary to uh, receive the person whom God has sent and not someone that we have voted for so that he can deceive our uncircumcised ears. And then you call him a clown in, in their case. <clears throat> a person sent by God will possess the power of a father from God. He'll carry the seed of the truth. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do, that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. John 6, 27 through 29. <clears throat> to believe the one whom he sent is collaborating your faith with the faith of God, listening to the words of the person God has sent. In the beginning, this was Jesus, and then it was people whom God has sent. Just the same thing upon the same conditions they received uh, the mandate. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, he said this to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. John 20, 21 through 23. If you say that today there's no apostles, then that means today there's no forgiveness of sins. 
then you in vain are coming to church. You can't receive forgiveness of sins then. It is... All the promises in him are yes and in him amen through glory, uh, to the glory of God through us. And in here also, you can see here, any sins, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. John 20, 21 through 23. It means that we are to use so that we can give God the proper grounds to deliver our soul from the snare of the fowler is the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. In order to receive the seed of the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, it is necessary to prepare the soil of our heart and by the cross of the Lord Jesus separate ourselves from our nation the house of our father and from our corrupt desires do not think that I came to the to bring peace on the earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves the son, his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life will, for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me another place. Psalm 45, 10, 11. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. It's talking about the daughter of Zion. Forget your own people also. Incline your ear. If you don't incline your ear to listen, you will not be able to understand and comprehend these commandments. Forget your own people also and your father's house, so the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. A person that has not lost his soul, that is, his nation, the house of his father, and his destructive desires of his soul by the way of collaborating his cross with the cross of Christ, is poor, naked, blind, and pitiful. And if this person is not brought to Christ, which is uh, uh, God's uh, representative or his delegated one, this person will never be able to become rich in the faith of God or understand what God has done for them, who he is for them, and who they are for him. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitude were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by the Beelzebub, the ruler, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided, divided against himself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad therefore I say to you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men anyone who speaks a word against the son of man it will be forgiven him but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Fruit of vipers, how can you bring 
evil, how you being evil speak good things. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. To be uh, demon-possessed is to be in the power of a demon or be under the impact or influence of a demon, and this possession is often in mindness or blindness. He did not release foam or shout or scream. <coughs> they just uh, were blind and couldn't speak. Here we see two categories of possessed individuals. The first category allowed that people to bring them to Christ so that he heals them from their uh, mindness and their blindness. The second category was resisting the truth and constantly tried to discredit the teaching of Christ uh, with their false uh, godliness. People who have this false godliness, they are truly possessed, but they're not mimed or blind. But this one who is mimed and blind, he can't speak. He wants to be free from this. He can't speak and he can't see. He wants to see. And God will find what is necessary to save his own children from this mimeness and this blindness. They brought an Israelite to him not a Gentile, and he healed him. He healed him. Right now we will pray. Our time is up. We will bend our knees and our heads, and we will thank God for the word that we were able to receive today so that God can establish it within our heart now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I again and again thank you for the greatest privilege to be upon this place. And I can present your words, your great and powerful word that is filled with energy and life, that you are vigilant over, that it would be fulfilled in the time that is appointed by you. We thank you that we have received your truth. We believe in it, and we have inscribed it upon our hearts. We proclaim this word before your face, and we thank you that we can consider ourselves dead to sin, living for you. We thank you that we can count ourselves, our old person bound within our body, uh, proclaiming that not existent as existent, so that you can receive the proper basis to bind him with your chains. May your mercy be a blessing for your people. Thank you that we have received by faith the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ and proclaim can proclaim the non-existent heavenly body as existent, waiting until you fulfill this here on earth. We thank you that we are uh, strangers in a foreign land. We thank you that we are strangers in your land. May your mercy be blessing for, for us because we wait for the new heavens and the new earth upon which righteous, uh, righteousness dwells, where righteousness dwells. Thank you for the power to heal our spirit and our soul from sin. This is the most terrible of illnesses. 
Thank you that you have that you heal us from mindness and blindness and have made our mouth able to proclaim your faith. May your mercy be a blessing for us now and forever. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.